Hi, welcome to another episode of Experiencing Motherhood Single and Black. I am your host, Kim, and I'm so excited that you have decided to tune in and listen. If this is your very first episode, welcome. If you are part of the community here, welcome back. If you missed out on last week's episode, definitely go back and take a moment to listen. I got a chance to sit down and chat with Lakeisha, who is a licensed professional counselor, and we got to chat about social anxiety, y'all. I know that it's one of those things where we sort of shy away from talking about it, but I definitely encourage each and every one of you to take a listen, whether you have kids or not, it's important. I do realize that I have people other than single moms listening. And so if you're wondering if that episode was for you, yes, you should listen. I think everyone can benefit from it. This week, we get to hear from a mom who has battled anxiety and depression, which almost led her to taking her own life. And I'm so excited that she wanted to share this story with us and some of the things that has gotten her to where she is today. But uh, before we get into the episode, I just want to remind you guys that the Single Mom Success Tour is still underway with Nikisha Wynn. We are heading to DC next month and Atlanta in June. So if you haven't gotten your tickets, please take a moment, pause this, go visit singlemomsuccesstour.eventbrite.com. Again, that's singlemomsuccesstour.eventbrite.com and get your tickets today. So without further ado, let's get into this episode. Hi, Tori. Welcome to the show. I am so excited to get to sit down and chat with you as you share your story with us. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Kim. I'm really excited to sit down with you as well. Awesome. Can you take a moment to just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Okay. Well, my name is Tori. Um, I am a single mother to a three-year-old girl and a nine-year-old boy. I um, recently just co-authored a book just uh, talking about my battle with mental illness. And um, I work full-time with um, homeless veterans with the federal government. And so daily, I'm just focusing on Um, work, parenting, and then building my brand with my business. My first question is, can you like talk a little bit about your journey? I know um, we were talking off the mic about, you know, you having anger management problems as a kid. So can you just like walk us through that? Yes, yes. So growing up, for the most part, I thought I was a pretty happy um, child. But I noticed that a lot of things that would happen to me, I wouldn't really respond to them right away. I would allow things to build up. So, for instance, let's say someone had picked on me or um, someone took advantage of me in a way that um, they shouldn't have or 
someone cut in front of me in line or something, I would allow things to just build up and build up and build up. And then it would be something very small and minute, and then I would blow up. So in school, even though I always made good grades, I was always involved in school, certain things would um, alert the teachers. And so... I remember having a teacher that came to me and said, you know, hey, maybe we should look at you talking to someone. So I started talking to a counselor in middle school and we came up with maybe anger management, figuring out a way to deal with your emotions would be good. So you're not blowing up. Um, She said that I would be like a soda can and where you would shake it and shake it and shake it. Then when you finally open it, it would explode. So we started there, and as we were unraveling the things of what makes me angry, we realized that anger is the secondhand emotion. And so the basis of it was really sadness. And it was dealing with things from me at one point feeling like my dad wasn't there, or I didn't have that close relationship with him, um, me being jealous of my brother who had his father 100% in his life and was constantly able to go to his house and everything because we were in the same city to um, times feeling like I was isolated or the black sheep of my family. And I guess I had dealt with that without really dealing with it. Um, I was dealing with it more internally instead of externally. And so eventually um, that counselor said, you know, maybe we need to talk with your doctor and see if where it is and my doctor ended up saying she felt like it was anxiety and so I was diagnosed with um, anxiety disorder and put on trial different trial medications with anxiety and eventually anxiety transformed into the doctor saying okay not only do you have anxiety but you have depression and so um Once being actually diagnosed with depression is when I started really looking at medication, intense therapy, and what got me to the point of where I am now. Okay. And so, um, Tori, just to, to, to just take it back a step, you said that you were diagnosed with anxiety and depression, like after childhood, right? So there wasn't until you were an adult that you were diagnosed, right? Correct. With anxiety disorder, I was diagnosed with that in high school. However, depression came, the the diagnosis of depression came after um, becoming a parent because it was one of those things that I never was completely honest with the doctors as far as how sad I would get just with my family and the way they look at mental illness and then the way the black community as a whole looks at mental illness. I was ashamed and afraid to be completely honest and transparent about what demons I was battling when I was alone. And so, um, so as a kid, you know, you're going through these things and you're seeing these doctors. Do you think your family was really supportive or do you kind of think they just wanted them to kind of like medicate what you were going through or did they actually try to talk to you about uh, some of those issues that you were facing as a child? When I was going through counseling at school, I kind of hid it from my family. Um, They knew that I was attending counseling at school, but didn't really know what that counseling detailed. 
And so with the counselor to build that rapport with me, she would agree with telling my family, oh, we're just dealing with how to get through anger, things that she may be bottling up. We're just trying to unravel those things. And it wasn't until high school I wrote this letter to my father that really detailed some very um, deep things that I was dealing with and that I felt needed to come to surface. And it was at that point where my father found out what what the counseling was truly about. But I will say as a whole, while I believe my parents supported me in a sense of being their child, I don't necessarily think my parents understand the mental illness part, the mental health part, and the fact that um, it's something that truly cannot just be dealt with in a day or something that just um, medication or simple going and speaking with someone can deal with. It's the process and it's a part of me. Yeah, definitely. I just wanted to ask you that because I think that a lot of us fail to realize that some of the issues that we have start when we're kids, like, you know, um, and then those issues, I guess, that we're not comfortable with kind of like carry over into adulthood. And sometimes like, like you said, it's a whole process. So it's not anything that we can say, okay, I, I don't suffer from depression anymore, or okay, I don't suffer from, you know, anxiety anymore, because, you know, we're still dealing with it. And so uh, one of the things I found, I, I was doing my own research about, you know, mental health, uh, especially like with single moms, and found that it increases the risk of suicide. Um, it is also like, the leading well suicide is the leading cause of death for new moms but awareness is low like nobody is really talking about how serious postpartum depression can be and I know off the mic you told me that you know you didn't really find out about the um the depression part right until after you had your second kid is that right correct yeah so um so why do you think like I guess nobody really talks about it. Or even, I guess, in your situation, um, did you have a friend or another mom? Or I guess, like, your family was probably in the same state that they were um, when you were a kid, and you couldn't really go to them and talk about how you were feeling because they wouldn't understand. So what was that like for you? Correct. So I think going back to the reason moms typically do not talk about it is because of the fear the the stigma is such a negative stigma on mental health. And I think as a parent, especially for me, I was fearful of being honest about what I was dealing with because I didn't want to risk losing my kids. Um, I know that my kids are the reason that I'm able to get up every single day, even when I feel like I want like I'm holding the world on my shoulders. My kids are the reason I continue going. And just the thought of being honest about something that I'm going through and someone not understanding it, but instead of understanding or trying to help, they take my kids. And so um, that was one of the biggest reasons I stayed quiet for as long as I did until I absolutely could not stay quiet anymore because I realized in order for me to be the best parent for them, I'm going to have to be somewhat transparent in what I'm going through. Um, At that point, is when I reached out to my cousin, who I'm very close to. But up until then, I really had no one that I could go to and confide in. 
my best friend since college that I was really close to actually died when I was right after I had my first child by suicide. And so she was the only person that really truly knew me a hundred percent, knew me when I was sad, knew me when I was happy, knew me when I was angry. And she was the one person that we could constantly talk about anything and everything that I felt would never judge me based off of what I was going through. And to have that person no longer there, I think became a burden to me as well. Um, But I think the biggest thing for anyone is just that fear of being judged, that fear of someone having this judgment of you and feeling like, oh, you just need to get over it. Or one of those things, you just need to pray and it'll be okay. Or you're just overthinking it or um, you're making a big deal out of nothing. Yeah, definitely. I think like it goes back to what you were saying earlier about them not really understanding what is taking place in the mind. So they can't wrap their own minds around it. So they don't really know what to tell you. You know, it's just that they don't know. I have a question for you. I want to know, like, at what point did you become a single mom in this whole process? Um, Because you have two kids and they're, they're, kind of far apart like I would say that that's (laughs) far apart to me you have a three-year-old and a nine-year-old that's like six years apart so kind of tell me about that a little bit yes so I became a single mother with my first child I found out I was pregnant when I was three months um I was still having a menstrual cycle I went to the doctor to change my birth control pills, and that's when I found out I was pregnant. I got pregnant. Um, me and my son's father was not together when I found out I was pregnant. And so um, once I told him, you know, he was there in the sense of we, we thought, okay, let's try to build a relationship and work through this. But eventually with abuse, and everything, I just realized in order for me to be the mother I need to be, it wouldn't be in a household with his father. So really from the moment I had my son, I was a single parent. Flash forward six years and I ended up getting with a guy who I thought I really cared about and we were deal, um, building something together. And then once I got pregnant, he realized he didn't want the child. So I became a single parent again. And that pregnancy was very difficult. I spent majority of that pregnancy in the hospital while he picked and um, cho- chose the times he would be supportive we still maintain like a friendship, even though he wasn't physically always there. And even now he talks to my daughter and everything. It's just not on a continuous basis. It's not every day, but I think he and I have more of a semi-co-parenting situation than my son's father and I do. Okay. So that's very interesting because, you know, sometimes you find that okay the mom had the first kid and then they they go back and they're actually with um the next kid's dad but then it just doesn't work out but your situation is very unique so do you think that your situation played a part in 
um, contributing to those suicidal thoughts? Or uh, what do you believe, like, really triggered those thoughts? Like, how did you get in, like, such a dark place? Because you said you have been diagnosed, so I imagine you were on medication or doing some type of therapy or something at that point um, before you actually, I guess, had those thoughts, right? Because you were already dealing with those other illnesses. So I actually was not on medication, um, depression medication, prior to having those thoughts. It wasn't until after the fact that I actually took the need for medication seriously. Because again, going back to the dynamic within my family, medication for your mental illness is frowned upon. You, I come from a family that believes you can pray through anything. And the reality was that wasn't my case. Prayer, while prayer may help, prayer was not going to solve what I was dealing with in that moment. And I realized medication and intense therapy is what I needed. Not saying that every person that deals with situations need medication, but for me, that was my truth. And so um, as far as Contributing factors, I do believe that my pregnancy, I, like I said, I had a very difficult pregnancy. I spent maybe six months out of the nine in the hospital and dealing with that and trying to figure out how I was going to maintain being a parent to my son and not make him feel um, left behind or forgotten was very difficult. And it was something that I don't think my family really understood. No one was there to really help me in a way that I needed help. And even though I had, I was still in my career, I was still working for the federal government, I, had, I wasn't able to actually go to work. So I had no income coming in. I became homeless. So I'm pregnant with my daughter, having my son, and now I'm homeless. So all these things on top of being sick, and I think they just built up, and I was dealing with it. And not the healthiest way. I was just bottling it all up. And eventually it got to the point where the bottle just couldn't take anymore. Wow. And, you know, that actually happens um, with a lot of moms. Like, they they hold a lot of that stuff inside and then they can no longer take it. But um, I wanted to ask you, because you said you were not on medication, but were you in therapy? Like, I know you said intense therapy, but were you in like regular therapy prior to like, you know, having those thoughts or were you kind of just like talking to the school? I guess like, so there was a period in childhood, right? And then you were talking to the school counselor. And then once you became an adult, um, you were still doing some sort of therapy, right? Before all of this transpired. Yes, I was doing therapy here and there, but not anything consistent. Because I felt like after becoming a parent, I couldn't really be honest about how I was feeling. Because, again, I had that fear, which was put in my head by my family, like, you're going to lose your child by being honest with them. You need to make sure that they're not marking you as depressed. They're not marking you as XYZ, um, just so you're being safe. And so when I would go to the doctor and we would talk, I would make sure most of it would be on my anxiety. Just, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I felt like I had an anxiety attack this week. Or, oh, you know, I thought too much about this and couldn't process through this. So it, was, it wasn't more so geared towards the depression as much as it was geared towards the anxiety. Okay. 
That is interesting. So I'm wondering, like, at any point, did you feel like guilty? Because you said you felt like alone, like nobody would really understand. Did you um, like kind of blame yourself for some of the stuff that was happening? And do you think like that played a part in, you know, wanting to end your life? I think in a way I did blame myself and I blame myself more so for things that were out of my control. And that's one of the things that I've learned now is that I cannot control other people. I can only control situations in which I hold the faithful, the fate for it. So at that time, I was really blaming myself for the fact that I couldn't, here I am with a second child that I'm not able to give them their father. Realizing that that's really not a burden that should be on me, that really should go back to the father. Because regardless of our personal relationship, that doesn't stop him from having a relationship with his child. Just the same as the relationship with my son's father, our relationship shouldn't stop him from having a relationship with his child. And so it took a while for me to get there. But at that moment, I was really blaming myself for that more so than anything. And then I was also blaming myself for losing my place and not being able to maintain because I pride myself on always being independent and always having it together from the outside in. Um, you know, people would look at me and like, oh, she's rocking it out. How does she um, maintain parenting so well and everything? No one ever saw the dark side. So when I got to a point where now I'm vulnerable, I have no place of my own. My son and I are sleeping on a couch in a one-bedroom apartment. And I felt like, okay, now I'm being judged. That persona of me is being wiped away. That mask is kind of being chiseled away, and I can no longer put it on and mask what I'm going through. So in that, in that sense, yes, I was blaming myself. And I think that did contribute to some of the things because I never talked about what it felt like being homeless in that moment. Wow. That's a whole lot. Um, but I, I definitely know that some moms will be able um, to relate to that because a lot of us are, you know, so used to um, being independent that we don't accept help or we don't know how to accept help or even ask for help. And when we do get it, we want to turn it down. But I think that it's so important. I just want to say this really quickly, that we understand that, um, you know, we were put here to raise a child with someone else. And it's unfortunate that we are in the situations that we're in, but we can still accept the help of other people. And I think that um, community plays a big part too. And, you know, keeping our sanity because I'm like you know one thing I I hear throughout this whole thing is that you know you had one person to talk to but then she you know ended up taking her life and so you were didn't really have anybody that you could go to that you feel under that would understand and and you had the comments from your family that kind of like kept you from talking about those things that you were feeling trying thinking that you were you know trying to protect your children and so um, I, I wonder, like, okay, so you've had these, these suicidal thoughts. Now, what takes place after that? Like, walk us through that. So um, after delivering my daughter, again, the whole dynamic with her father and I was sometimes good. When it was good, it was good. But when it was bad, it was horrible. 
and I had just started back working, um, trying to figure out daycare and everything. I had just moved literally a couple of weeks before delivering my child. I had just saved up enough money to move my son and I into a two-bedroom apartment. So, you know, like going back through that, figuring out how I'm going to pay bills with just now starting back work. So I'm not going to have a paycheck right away and dealing with my daughter was the NICU. So I think all those things just kind of snowballed. And I realized no one was really there. And, and I think when I say no one was really there to help me, it may have been some of that my fault because I don't tend to ask for the help. I tend to assume, you already know I'm a single parent. So, you know, of course I need to help. I shouldn't have to ask you for it which is a bad thing that I think single parents do. Um, but anyway, so I noticed that I started getting sad. I started getting angry. I was just overwhelmed with bills, two kids, constantly like going from hospital to now right back into parenting and running around and everything. And I, I guess it just got so much for me and I just felt so alone and I'm, I got to a place where I'm like, I'm doing this and he gets to live his life. He gets, he left the state and moved away and he doesn't have to worry about waking up and breastfeeding. He doesn't have to worry about, you know, paying daycare, any of those things. And I guess instead of talking to someone about it, because I really didn't have anyone to talk to about it, I just kept it to myself. And I remember before attempting um, the suicide, just remembering at nighttime, I would put my kids to sleep and I would literally just sit on the floor and cry. And it was one point where I called my gynecologist and said, hey, do you think that um, it could be my birth control pills? Like I had got my tooth tied, but we still got on birth control because she felt like that would help me. So um, she said, you know, maybe it is. Let's let's bring you in and, you know, try something different with a little less hormones. But then I noticed, okay, now this is, this seems more than just birth control. Like I'm, I'm crying constantly. I'm crying because I feel like my son is saying mom too much. Like I, I'm feeling a disconnect with my kids, hearing their voice. It's starting to bother me. Um, hearing mom or, you know, hearing Tori is starting to bother me. The smallest little things like someone touching me would bother me. Um, and again, postpartum was never a thought of mine because I'm thinking, okay, my daughter has already hit the one-year-old stage. Well, she's close to hitting the one-year-old stage. I'm like, there's no way it's postpartum. In my head, I'm thinking postpartum what happened in the first couple of months. So by that time, I had stopped them at um, the birth control by choice. And I'm sitting in my room. Again, I'm just crying. My kids are asleep. And it's so peaceful. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe they would be better off without me. Like, I'm this horrible person where I can't control my emotions. So maybe without me, they would be in a better place. Like someone would be able to love them in a way that I can't love them at this moment. And so these are all the thoughts that's going through my head. And I just remember grabbing a bottle of pills and I don't even remember what 
I think they may have been um, like pain pills from when I had my, um, when I delivered my child. And so I just remember taking a bottle and putting a whole bottle of pills in my mouth. And I'm sitting with the pills in my mouth and I'm sending out a text message to say, you know, make sure you check on the kids in the morning. And sorry if I get emotional, but um, I'm saying check on the kids in the morning. And literally, as I am about to swallow the pills, my daughter wakes up and puts her hand on me and says, Mom. And immediately, I break down crying, and I spit out the pills. And so at that moment, I had already sent the text message. So um, I'm assuming my mom must have been asleep that night, because first thing that morning, she's knocking on my door. And I tell her what happened. And she, I don't know if it was a shock or if it was being upset or it was just in denial or whatever, but it just, it was like, I'm going to take the kids to school. We're going to go to work and we're going to figure it out later. So I called my cousin, who's like my brother, and I'm telling him what happened. And he's like, Tori, I'm getting on the phone with your doctor. You're leaving work now. I'm on my way up there. He drove an hour and a half up here. Got me to the doctor and everything, and they said, we want you to go inpatient. I refused to go inpatient because I was scared that my kids would get taken away. So instead of going inpatient, they said, okay, well, we'll let you stay home, but you have to start medications today. Just like medication today, you have to have someone in your home with you at all times. So at that point, that first initial day, he was with me. And then my mother, I stayed with her some nights, and she stayed with me some nights. Um, I wasn't allowed to have more than a couple of days of medication at a time because they were scared that I would OD. I would intentionally try to overdose on them. So um, that, you know, they would give me the medication for a couple of days, make sure my mom was in the household with me, and then I started intense therapy. And therapy was three to four times a week. And um, she told me, she was like, you know, what you're dealing with is postpartum. And I said, well, hey, how is it postpartum? It's late. I thought she's like, no, postpartum can happen within the first two years. And she was like, I'm just glad that your daughter woke up because we wouldn't be able to have this conversation. And that's basically where the the suicide and the only time that I ever tried to to commit suicide but that was the moment when it happened I realized oh my goodness like what I'm dealing with is serious and in order for me to be the best parent possible I have to get help if I don't get help then it will only be right for me to not have them Um, so that's when I realized medication is definitely the route that I must go combined with therapy Wow. Oh my gosh. Kudos to you for, you know, um, taking those steps to, you know, like let your cousin know, you know, especially since you understood that your mom did not know, like that is a whole lot, but I definitely uh, read some articles about, you know, new moms and, um, like their, attempt to commit suicide like it's a common thing so like you are not the only person people are just not talking about it you know um like I said earlier and so I don't know like how I guess do you feel now like so you've gotten through all that 
and um you know your daughter's three now so this was like right after you had her right or was this like a year later yeah it was it was right before her first birthday okay so then you're like two years out like how do you feel now are you still having to you know to kind of depend on the medication along with intense therapy or have you been able to find some other coping mechanisms that you know kind of allow you to depend on less of the medication and then like you know a little therapy or are you kind of still following that same uh, method so i i no longer do intense therapy and this is where i feel like the conversation needs to be had because intense therapy costs a lot of money and even with having very good insurance it's still costly to pay every single day for therapy um so as a single parent that just wasn't something that i could maintain so what i did was learn other ways so i this is when i actually it was so funny i started goal setting um due to this and the biggest goal for me last year was to love myself more. And so I started doing things that I enjoyed again. So for instance, reading. I absolutely love to read. So I would set aside time that I could read without interruption. Um, I love to write. So I started having that two-way conversation with paper. I've learned to take walks, um, really enjoy fresh air. And allowing myself to not necessarily talk to myself, but allow myself to just think without everyone else around, without the opinions of others clouding what I feel I need. Um, I do, I do still take medication, but my medication has been changed. I'm not on um, two different medications. I'm just on one and it's a low dosage. And it's more so just to make sure that I never get to that point where I'm feeling it's extremely down again. So it's it's just a level out uh, my hormones. And that deals with the one pill deals with the depression and the anxiety at the same time. I also make sure that I no longer wait to deal with the emotion. So if I'm feeling upset, I make sure to process that in that moment. I allow myself to feel the emotion and then understand the emotion. And that's something that I've never done up until last year. And that was because that was one of the biggest things I learned in therapy was when you deal, when you have these emotions, stop running from them. Allow yourself to feel that emotion, feel everything you're feeling in that moment, and then process why you're feeling that. So I think that has definitely helped me to get to where I'm not feeling overwhelmed or I'm not allowing others to really bog down my mental state. And then I would say also learning the word no, learning that no is fine. I don't need to say anything else beyond no. No, I don't have the mental capacity to deal with whatever it is that my family or my friends or a stranger may want me to deal with in that moment. Um, A perfect example would be, let's say politics. I love politics, but I know when I'm getting to a point where mm -mm, I need to stop it because it's going to put me in a state that's going to even make me extremely upset or extremely sad. So I know when to stop it. 
Um, or for instance, if my family's like, hey, I need you to do X, Y, Z, and I know I have kids, I'm like, no, I can't do it. Just no. Or no, I don't want to do it. Um, this past year was the first time that I didn't go anywhere for Thanksgiving. I just felt like I didn't want to deal with my family and I wanted to stay home and just me and my kids enjoy some crafts and movies and snacks. And that's what we did. And I, I didn't feel apologetic for it. And so I know for me, that is a big change because I've always been a people pleaser. And now I'm really um, in tune with no pleasing Tory. And in pleasing Tory, I'm able to please my kids. And at the end of the day, those two dynamics are the things that matter most to me. Yeah, those are like some good ways to um, cope. That is so good. Ladies, I hope you are um, taking notes because those things really work, especially like the journaling and taking walks. Um, I know they help with me. Um, I've never really suffered from, you know, like depression or anxiety um, technically, but I'm sure I was there at some point when nobody ever said anything. I went through like a really uh, dark period whenever I had my daughter, like after, no, I think maybe more so during the pregnancy than I did after I had her. Um, but I could definitely see where, you know, it could have been like really tough because I remember trying to do it on my own and um, my family, like, because I had my daughter so young and I was like the first person to go to college, they really were not happy whenever I told them that I was pregnant. So long story short, um, my grandma would just call me every day, constantly talking about why she, she couldn't believe that I had gotten pregnant. So anyways, um, after that newborn stage, like I would um, literally like cry when the baby was crying. (laughs) And so finally I called up my grandma and I was like, okay, like I need help. Um, and see, I, I didn't do like you, I wasn't like, you know, um, holding it out. Like I was literally like, I can't do this by myself. Like I need help. And so what I want to ask you though, like now, since, you know, you found ways to cope and you've done all this, like how is community for you now? How is support? So being completely honest, support is still difficult and it's not so much that, the support isn't there as much as the support is just there when it's convenient for them. And so, of course, convenience for them, it's not going to match when I actually need the support, um, especially with being involved so much in activities outside of work and really trying to make sure that I keep myself involved in the things that make me happy while also building a future for my kids. So sometimes I need extra support that can't necessarily be there in that moment because they have their own things going on. And I just have to realize or figure out how to maneuver that. So sometimes my kids come to meetings with me or, um, you know, sometimes, I mean, they even had to come to maybe if I have a side job and they have to come with me. And I think for the most part that support comes from people that are not within my family that really understand like I have to bring them to a meet and they make sure, Oh, well, let me, you know, you go ahead and do what you need to do. And I'll watch the kids over here in the corner and give them something to write on and make sure they eat. Um, but then also on the other side of that, during the summertime, my dad always gets my kids for a week. Well, my son for a week 
which gives allows me a break. Um, I get more financial help from uh, my parents now. And like I said, the other help, the other supports really come from outside people or if I pay someone to babysit. It's not a daily support type of thing, which is okay. I've learned that I can't be upset with people for not being there as I would like for them to be there, but more so accepting when they are there and being okay with when they are there. Yeah, that's really good. And Tori, where do you live again? I live in Asheville, North Carolina. Okay, so um, like, how's the single mom community there? Have you tried to like connect with any other single moms to kind of like help I, out that may like understand and really get it? I really wish there was a bigger connection for single moms here. Um, I think a lot of it is just that Asheville can be kind of spread out. And I must admit, and I'm pretty picky with who I I let my kids go with, which I know can be, I guess, some of the calls for why my support isn't that big. But um, I, I do wish that it was a bigger support system as far as single mothers are concerned. But I do have a couple of people that are not necessarily single moms, but that are married couples that we tend to get the kids together oh well that's good I mean community is community right so but I just think that sometimes you know it's more helpful when you have you know other single moms that understand what you're going through as well and like you said it is difficult and I, I do understand that Um, We don't always want everybody around our kids, but that's why we, you know, take time to build those uh, relationships. Like, it's not just like, oh, well, you know, you can go over here. No, it's like, we're going to meet a few times and I'm going to visit your house and you're going to visit mine and then we'll get to know each other like that. But um, I definitely think it's helpful, though, to have other single moms that you can go to. uh, to. I know I've sort of built this online community um, that I'm very grateful for before you know, single black motherhood, I really did not um, know a lot of single moms. Like I honestly only knew of like one and that was a roommate I had when I was in college. And, you know, we're still cool today. We don't talk as much, but, um, you know, she was the only one that really understood, you know, um, some of the thoughts I had and what, what I was thinking. And so this platform has really allowed me to connect with like single moms all over the world, basically. Um, but the one thing that I haven't been able to do that yet is like really build the relationships and really build like local community. Because it's like one thing to, you know, have these moms that I could talk to online and I could call them up on the phone, but like they're not here. So like if I need my daughter to be picked up because, you know, I have a meeting, like they can't help me. You know, or if I want to like in person, like there's some things that I just really don't want to say on Instagram live or Facebook or, you know, like I don't want to share those things online. And so I need people here that I can physically sit with and chat with. Um, And so that's one of the things I'm going to be working on this year. So I just want to encourage you to, um, to like, I don't know if they, you know, there's any Facebook groups out there uh, of like moms that, you know, you may be able to reach out to, but I, I highly like suggest that we all do a better job of like, you know, building that 
local community where we are. So um, with that being said, is there anything else that you want to leave the moms with today? Like maybe um, some of them have had like similar thoughts or some of them may be experiencing um, anxiety or depression and um, they haven't really been to get checked, you know, like, um, cause like I was saying, like whenever I was pregnant, I, I'm pretty sure I was like depressed, but nobody ever told me to go see a doctor and nobody ever told me that I was like depressed, but my friend, she kind of like, kind of left me hanging because she was tired of hearing me talk about my thoughts all the time, you know? And so, um, I just want to ask you, you know, like, again, if you have anything, um, any tips that you want to leave uh, with the moms or anything else that you want to share. And one before you do, though, Tori, one thing that I forgot to mention is that um, you said something that's important. Like you said that if you didn't take the time out to, um, you know, do these things, whether it's medicine or whether it's, you know, intense therapy or whether it's therapy now or finding these other coping mechanisms, like you would not be able to take care of your kids. And I don't think a lot of moms realize that like you have to take care of yourself first so that you're able to to parent to the best of your ability. And not only that, um, but, you know, when you're experiencing anxiety and depression, that stuff can um, transfer over into your kids. So if you, especially if you don't get it handled. So I just really want to encourage you moms, like, especially those of you who are listening, like, please take the time out to take care of yourself. It's important and you deserve it. Yes. Yes, for sure. Moms, if you feel like you're in a place where you are taking out emotions on your kids, and when I say taking out emotions on your kids, I don't mean necessarily physically, but if you're noticing that, they're trying to tell you about your day and you're hushing them off or, you know, you're, you're trying to hurry up and get them to sleep and not really spending that time with them. You're not doing something as simple as sitting down at the table and eating dinner together. Those things really cross over to the kids and they may not be able to articulate what they're feeling, but they're definitely feeling it. They can recognize when mommy is off, when mommy is something is going on with mommy that I can't really um, figure out, but I know it's there. And that especially happened with my kids, especially my son. My son is very intuitive. So any little thing when I'm off, my son is right there to try to figure out what's going on. Like, mom, are you okay? He's seen me cry sometimes. And he's like, are you okay? Why are you crying? Let's process this. Um, which is weird because he just turned nine, but he's very, very in tune with his feelings and emotions. And I think that's one of the things that I've taught him, like, you know, when you're feeling something, just in what I've learned in therapy, let's talk about it. Even with my kids, if my daughter's having a tantrum, baby, what's going on? Why are you upset? Like really processing it and normalizing it, especially within our culture at home. But that way, when they go out into the other, the society, they can also do that with other peers and know that it's okay. One of the other biggest things I would say is a, um, a quote that I really love that he who conceals his disease cannot expect to be cured. And that is major. If oh my you gosh, do that not, is so good. Yes. <laughs> if you do not reveal what you are going through, it is impossible for anyone to help you. It is absolutely impossible. You can show signs, but one thing about showing signs, people are fearful to make judgment on you, to you. 
they may talk about it with their friends. They may talk about it with other family members. But to you, especially within the Black community, they're not going to come to you and say, hey, you seem depressed. Do you need help? One, because the person on the end hearing that is going to get defensive. And then two, because it's just not something that's been normalized within our community. So if you know you're dealing with anything, whether you feel like it's minute or not, reach out to someone. And one thing I've learned is sometimes reaching out to people that don't necessarily know me on a day-to-day basis is better because they can't have that jaded view of me. They can't say, oh, that's just how you are, or, oh, you're just over-processing that, or you're overthinking it. When you reach out to someone who may be in a community like yours, a single, um, the single Black parent motherhood, or someone on Facebook, or someone at work, or your doctor, someone that doesn't necessarily know you every day or didn't grow up with you, and they can really take what you're saying and really process it and help you to process it. But one of the worst things that a person can do, and I can say this from experience, is hold it in because you become resentful and you become resentful because you think everyone else around you knows, like like they're mind readers, when you know that that's not true. But it's just a way to place blame on them because you're feeling so hurt and so much anger and so much pain. So I think one of the biggest things that single parents, especially single mothers, that we tend to do as well is get so fixated on the absent parent that we don't realize that we're becoming an absent parent. Oh, yes. We we sort of touched on this tonight in Single Mom Chat. That is so good. So good. And a lot of times they try to like overcompensate too for the absent parent. And so, yep, they they definitely become absent themselves, especially like, you know, with the whole money thing. Because it's like you can be so busy um, caught up in like working, especially like a lot of moms have two, three jobs. So it's like, if you're working that much, are you really spending time with your kids? Exactly. Are you going to those school plays? Are you going to those parent-teacher conferences? Are mm-hmm. you going, you know, what What are your kids' interests? Like taking those little moments. I know for my kids, we start Friday night. It's kind of movie pizza night. And that's like to become the norm within my family that's become a tradition that started after my attempt. Really trying to figure out a time where there's no phones, there's no hanging out with anyone, no work. I'm sitting down there, whatever movie my kids want to watch, even though it's typically the same movie every week, we watch it and we eat pizza <laughs> and we enjoy it. You know, like yeah. my kids literally look forward to it and I allow them on Friday nights, they sleep in my room. It's one of the things that they look forward to. And so I, to me, it, I look forward to it as well. I know Friday's like, who one, I don't have to worry about cooking. And then two, I know it's going to be a peaceful night that sometimes we may fall asleep on a couch or however, but I know that they're happy and they're content with it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't require me to spend money. It doesn't require anything extra. It just requires me to take time out from my busy schedule and just say, okay, but right now, in these few hours, it's just us. 
That is so good. That's so good. I think we also talked about uh, that on Single Mom Chat, and we we talked about different ways that we could, you know, swim with our kids during the week or the weekend. And a lot of moms said that they did that too, basically, like having a movie night on Fridays, or even some of them did like um, date nights on like the um, the nights that restaurant have, I guess, where kids can eat free. So they would do like a day night where the mom would pay for her meal and the kid would get to eat free and just like different little stuff like that. It's so good. Um, yeah. But anyways, uh, no, we can go on and on about that. So um, Tori, let everybody know where they can find you and connect on um, social media and let us know when the book is going to be out so that we can support you. Yes, my book is It's Not That Easy. Stop Telling Me to Get Over It. And that will release in spring of 2019. But um, the book can be purchased at Tori, T-O-R-R-E dot, it's not that easy book dot com. Um, my Instagram is simply Tor, and that's S-I-M-P-L-E-E-T-O-R. And then also my website is simply Tor dot com. And I just really want to build that connection with other parents, other moms, and people that are really dealing with depression, anxiety, or any other mental illness, whether diagnosed or undiagnosed, to really kind of change or end the negative stigma, especially within the Black community. Yeah, and like I have to say this one thing before we um get out of here, but I, I told my friend the other day, I said, you know, we've come a long way as you know discussing mental health in the black community because 10 years ago like nobody would even talk about this right now right but you know we are starting to have more and more conversations about it but I still feel like we have a long way to go like so many people are still like closed-minded when it comes to like mental health and therapy so we're getting there, yeah. you know, slowly, but um, it's a process. And then um, I've heard that, you know, some people say like uh, therapies have saved their lives. And then you have some that will say that it really hasn't worked for them. And I, and I like to say that um, you look for a therapist like you look for your doctor. You know, every doctor is not for you, just like every therapist is not for you. So you have to take the time out to see like, who is good for you like who's going to be um effective for you and it's okay like if you if it doesn't work out that first time it doesn't go like you expected um or maybe after the third or fourth time you know it's okay if you need to change your therapy so like that is fine just like you know you might have to change your doctor because you're no longer satisfied um with the work that they are doing so it's the same concept i believe so i just want to you know let you guys know that um just keep your your um your mind open to the thought of it, you know, and receiving help. Yes, for sure. And realizing as well that there are different types of therapy. Therapy is not necessarily just coming in as therapists saying, how are you feeling today? I've had those type of therapists, but those type of therapists didn't work for me either. So there, there are different types of therapy that's available. So most of the time, therapists have free consultations, utilize that. Ask questions, come with a list of questions to ask your therapist. How do they feel about XYZ? You have some therapists that don't believe in medication. You have some therapists that believe that medication is necessary. 
So really in tune with what you feel you need and then make sure you question that therapist on what, how they feel about those things. Yes, that is good. Well, Tori, thank you so much for, again, chatting with me. I really appreciate it. And I enjoyed our conversation and I'm pretty sure that a lot of moms will actually benefit from this and I'm sure they'll be able to relate in some shape, form or fashion. Yes, Kim. Thank you so much for having me. And I look forward to us actually connecting in person. Yeah, I will definitely have to be. (laughs) All right. So I hope you guys can kind of see how important it is to seek help when you're experiencing anxiety and depression thoughts of suicide when things really just start to feel like you can't manage them but I don't think we want it to um, ever get to the point where we feel like we can't manage it that's why therapy is um, so important and if you don't feel like you're comfortable with therapy just yet Find somebody that you can trust, maybe a friend or a family member who is non-judgmental. Like sometimes you can just go to them and you can talk about your issues without getting anything in return. And when I say that, I mean somebody who's not going to talk down on you because of how you're feeling or someone who's going to be honest with you when you tell them your thoughts. Okay, so um, I really again appreciate Tor for just sharing her story when we initially recorded this her book hadn't come out yet but it's actually out now um she's actually a part of a series and so there are multiple stories of of people dealing with mental health issues so if you're interested I will so if you're interested um check out the show notes so if you're interested check out the show notes I'll put the link there If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave a review, rate the podcast, and share with another mom friend or a family member that you believe would benefit as well. You can connect with me over on Instagram at Single Black Motherhood, like the page on Facebook, Single Black Motherhood, visit the website, singleblackmotherhood.com. Thank you again for listening. I really appreciate it and hope that you enjoyed this episode. Until next week, talk to you guys later. Bye.